Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil, came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? Would you pray with me, please? Lord, the whole point of a parable is that it is those who are hungry and those who are humble enough to readjust their thinking that are the ones that will will get the full truth of it. Would you come? Would you open up our hearts, open up our minds? Please, God, hide me behind the cross. Help us to see Jesus and to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church in this crucial hour, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message is The Seed and the Soils. First, point one, the key to understanding. So Jesus says about this parable, about the seed and the soils, that this, is, this one unlocks all of the parables. This is key. If you don't understand this one, you're not going to understand any of them. And it says that he was speaking and said many things in parables. And then he gives this, you know, why are you speaking in parables? And he says like, so that, they, they, so that it's hidden from them. The definition of a parable, a parable compares something familiar to something unfamiliar and compels listeners to discover truth while at the same time concealing the truth from those too lazy or stubborn to see it. So the synoptic gospels, all synoptic means is to view together. There are three gospels that are to be viewed together, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They cover the same material, some in more depth, but the reason why you need to view them together is each one of the gospels says it a little different, and you get the full story. You get all the details when you put them all together. So I'll be freely quoting all three of the synoptics as I share this. The parable of the sower, interesting, is one of the only parables that's in all three of the synoptics. It's in Matthew 
13, it's in Mark 4, and it's in Luke chapter 8. Jesus says this one is the key that unlocks all of the other ones. Now, we're starting a series in Matthew on the parables. It's called the kingdom of heaven. Turns out that Matthew is where most of the parables are. The reason being is because of what a parable does. A parable hides for many people and it brings truth to the hungry and to the humble. And Jesus, in his ministry to the Jewish people, which is Matthew is written to the Jews, he came to the Jewish leadership and he exposed what the hearts were. There were two groups of leaders in the, in, in the, in the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish ruling body. The, there were the Sadducees and there were the Pharisees. And, and the Sadducees were those that didn't really believe the Bible. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They, they had embraced Greek culture and they were really wealthy. And they were using their position for their wealth. And they were the ones that they could hear this stuff, but they weren't hungry. They weren't hungry for truth. They were complacent. They were lazy. So a parable would hide from them. Well, the second group is the Pharisees, and these are the Bible believers, and they were very zealous for the Bible and very zealous for the truth and for making disciples, but, but these guys were the stubborn ones. They had a certain way they thought it should be, and because it wasn't how they thought it was be, they couldn't hear what Jesus was saying. And Jesus said, listen, the kingdom isn't coming the way you thought it was going to come. In Luke 17, 20 and 21, Jesus says, it's not coming with outward observation and signs at this time. It's coming in seed form. It's coming, if the kingdom of God's gonna come right now, it's gonna come within you. It's gonna, it's gonna come in the soil of your heart. They wanted a Messiah that would come in power, in demonstrations of power, and turn over the government and make the government of God on earth. And Jesus came to bring the kingdom, but he said, I'm bringing it with seeds and it's not going to topple the Roman government. It's going to change the human heart, but I'm, I'm coming with seeds and only the humble, the hungry and the humble are going to be able to receive it and be changed by it. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about Naaman. Naaman is found in, the whole story of Naaman is found in 2 Kings 5. He was a, uh, a general in Aram, and at this time, he was very respected. He was, the Bible says, blessed by God. God gave him victory over the Israelites. They had taken Israelite captives, and there was a little girl that was one of his servants that was from Israel. So he's got all this stuff going good for him in the world. He's a, he's a general, he's well-respected, he's, he's probably wealthy, but he's got a problem. And it's not a small problem. He's a leper. And in that day, there was no cure for leprosy. So he's got something that is slowly killing him and dis, disfiguring him. And all, even though he's got all these worldly things going, he's got something going that he has to hide all the time that is slowly taking away his life and will be the death of him. But this little servant girl says, I wish that my master would go to Israel where there is a prophet so that he could be healed 
of his leprosy. And Naaman, he responds to this. He is hungry. He, he wants to be healed of his leprosy. So he makes this journey to the land of Israel and he, they, they send him to Elisha's house and Elisha sends out his servant and says, oh, go, go dunk, dunk seven times in the Jordan River. You'll be fine. You'll be all healed. And Naaman is enraged. And the Bible says that he turns and he starts to leave and he's going away. And, and, and as he's going, he's saying why he's leaving. I thought that the prophet himself would come out, that he would make a big deal over me because I'm a big deal. He would wave his hand, he would speak it out and that I would be healed. And if he was gonna send me to a river, why would he ever send me to the Jordan River? That's a mess. Why wouldn't he send me to these rivers in Damascus that are better water and da 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 And he's just mad and he's enraged because it wasn't the way he thought that it should be. And so one of his servants says, uh, Mr. Naaman, sir, no disrespect, but... If that prophet had told you to do something really hard, you would have done it. And all he said is, go dunk and you'll be healed. Naaman's like, hmm, true. So he goes and he obeys the word of God. He humbles himself to the way God has set it up. He dunks seven times and comes up completely healed. So here's here's why people struggle with the gospel. We've got lots of people in America. They've got a good job. They're well-respected. They've got money. They've got a retirement. They've got, they've got this. They've got that. They've got that. But there's something wrong. There's something wrong. It's called sin. And it is slowly destroying you. And it will eventually kill you. And the Bible says it doesn't just kill you physically, it kills you spiritually. It separates you from God. And you can hide it, and we're really good at hiding, but you know it. You know there's something wrong. People know it. How how would I know that I'm a sinner? God's given you lots of evidence. There's lots of stuff you do wrong, lots of stuff you say, I'm, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, and then you do just the opposite. Lots of, the Bible, well, I haven't done this, this, and this. Well, the Bible says you break one of the commands, you've broken all of them in God's eyes. And this, no matter how much else you've got going for you, this is destroying your life. And so this is why oftentimes people come to church the first time. (laughs) They're looking for something. There's evidence. I need a savior. Something's wrong in my life and I need help. I don't know what it is, but then, so I'm I'm gonna try the church. And then the church comes with this message that we don't really like that much. The answer is this. Uh, You need a savior. Jesus died on the cross And you can be washed of your sin, but only by the blood of Jesus. There's no good work you can do. There's no religious act you can do. There's no, Jesus's blood will cleanse you of your sin. And he gives you a new beginning. Well, I don't think that's how it should be. I I think it should be good people. I think good people, it doesn't matter how you think. This is the way God made. And we have to be humble enough to come that way. This is the way God made for people to be saved. This is the way God made for people to be forgiven. So you need to be hungry enough to say, I I, I want to be changed. I need to be changed. I recognize something's wrong with me. And then you need to be humble enough to come the way God made, which is through Jesus Christ, through his shed blood on the cross. So that's point one, the key to understanding. So here's point two the seed. So Luke chapter 
8, starting in verse 11. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy. But they hear it when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there's nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more, Matthew says, and they'll have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. The seed is the word of God. The seed may seem small, but it is loaded with power. The Bible says that when the earth was dark and chaotic, that the Holy Spirit was brooding over the earth, waiting. And when the word of God came, light came into darkness, order came into chaos, and everything changed as God spoke. That's creation. The same thing happens, the Bible says, in the new creation. Listen to this. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. When God speaks the gospel, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, faith takes a hold and we become born again. We become a new creation by the seed of the word of God, the imperishable, powerful seed of the word of God. Seeds are powerful things. Has anybody ever walked past a sidewalk and the sidewalk is split because a plant has grown up in the middle and grass is in the middle of the sidewalk. There's a crack and grass is coming through that crack. And you think to yourself, how does that I mean, cement is so powerful and so strong. And a seed that happened to fall there over time is powerful enough to break up cement. Yep. The seed of the word of God can break a human heart, no matter how hard it's become. That's how powerful it is. Seeds multiply. Have you ever taken time to think about what a seed is? So let's just take an apple seed. So you got an apple seed. You plant it, you put it in the right soil, in the right atmosphere, and you water it, and you weed it, and that one seed will grow into a tree. Now, on an average apple tree, there's about 200 apples, and in every apple, there's an average of five seeds. So you got, from this one seed, you now have 200 apples, and you now have 1,000 seeds. So take those 1,000 seeds, and you plant them in just the right environment in the right place and watch over them. And those, now you've got 
200,000 apples, and now you have a million seeds. And that's just one generation. Do you see how quickly seeds multiply? It's amazing. It's stunning. So somebody said it this way. You can count the seeds in an apple, but you can't count the apples that are in one seed. The multiplication of God. Amazing. The word of God can transform human lives. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which indeed is at work in you who believe. The word of God, the seed of the word of God, takes a li- it's got a life of its own, and it starts growing, and it starts transforming us from the inside out. So Mark gives the parable of the sower, and then right after this, he, he gives two more parables to further illustration the power of the word of God. He says, 26 and 27, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. He just defined it as being the word of God. And he goes to bed at night and gets up daily And the seed sprouts and grows how he himself does not know. We don't know how seeds work. We just know it's amazing. You're you're sleeping at night. You get up in the day and this seed is growing all by itself. Then he says this in 431 and 32. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil... Though it is the smallest of all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches, with the result that the birds of the sky may nest under its shade. Now, if you've never seen a mustard seed, go online and look at a mustard seed. Mustard seeds, are you can't barely even see them. They fit, you can get 10 of them on the tip of your finger. And that little seed grows and it takes over the whole garden. And it grows to become something that becomes a blessing to others. And others can get shade in it. And others can come and get refuge in it. And this is how Jesus transforms a life. Doesn't seem like much at the beginning. Oh, I just prayed a prayer. Oh, but the dynamic, powerful word of God got in you. And all you did is just stay in it and just cultivate it a little and value it and water it and weed it. And, and pretty soon, Jesus becomes everything to you. He starts taking everything over. And all of a sudden, your life, every area of your life is transformed. And then you've got this fruit that other people can eat. Have you, has anybody noticed that there's seeds in fruit? The very fruit of reproduction is right in the fruit. So, so as we love with his love and have peace, kindness, pain, patience, goodness, self-control, the, all of those fruits, as we just live them out and people experience it, it's an advertisement for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God's not just a, a, a message of words. It's well, Jesus himself is the truth. And so when we become the truth and we start bearing fruit, we are the message that's got reproduction right in it. It's just stunning, isn't it? So that brings us to the soils. Luke 8, 18. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. Matthew's gospel says it this way. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. I'm reading that this week. 
This is a parable of the sower. We're, you know, we're starting a new series and we're going to do these parables. And, you know, this is a real familiar one. I was terrified by this parable because God is explaining what it is like in the human race. That everybody in the human race is moving either towards spiritual riches or towards spiritual bankruptcy. And he gives why most will end up spiritually bankrupt. Be careful how you listen because the spiritual rich are going to get richer and the spiritually poor are going to end up spiritually bankrupt. And it's all based on how you listen. Pastor Tom, I don't think that's how it should be. I don't like that. Honestly, I'm, I, didn't, I don't like it that much either. Jesus loves you so much, and he loves me so much, he doesn't tell us what we'd like it to be. He tells us how it is. Now, I'll guarantee you this. In God's love for you, his intent for every single person in this sanctuary, everybody that's watching online, is for you to, to move towards spiritual riches. He wants to make you rich spiritually. He wants your life to be blessed and blessed and multiplied amazingly. He wants that for you. But we need to understand why most people right now are heading towards spiritual bankruptcy or we're going to end up becoming one of them. So there's three, there's three soils, there's three hearts that are leading towards spiritual bankruptcy. Number one is the unbelieving heart. Jesus says, a lot of the seed is lost because people don't understand it. The devil comes and takes it like the birds take the seed on the side of the road that doesn't, doesn't get in good soil. The devil, it's never the devil himself. He is in charge of a kingdom of darkness. He is the enemy of God. He is your enemy. So it's usually demons, which is why birds is plural. They come and they just take the seed before it can go in. You say, well, how, does the, how would the devil get rid of the seed of the word of God? Since the beginning. I'll tell you how he steals. Genesis chapter 3. First question to the human race. Did God really say? Did God really say that? Huh. God had just told Eve how it is, and Adam and Eve how it was, and then he came and just put a question mark where God put. The first attack was not on the existence of God. The first attack was on the word of God, and that attack is going on still today. Did God really, did God really say that? Did you notice that when Jesus is, is starting his ministry and heaven opens and the Father speaks the word of God, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then four verses later, the enemy comes and says, if you are the son of God, he puts a question mark on his identity. And then this lie, oh my, surely you won't die. Surely God said that if we do this, that we will die. Surely you won't die. Surely you are an exception. Surely you could sin. Yeah, others have, have, have missed it. Others, but you could get away with it. You, surely you won't die. Surely it's not as bad as they say. Sure, and the enemy comes and tries to steal warnings from us. God is speaking to the human race right now. How is he speaking? He's speaking through the Bible. This is God's word. 
God is speaking. He's speaking through preachers. Paul says, because the Thessalonians, he said, we preach and you treated it like it was the word of God. And because you did, it's performing its work in you. It's miraculous work in you. The enemy wants to steal. Oh, that's just the pastor's opinion. Pastor Tom's just in a bad mood. I don't need to listen to that. I don't, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Watch out. Watch out. The enemy's trying to steal something from you. God is speaking through the Bible. He's speaking through preaching. He's speaking through nature. Go outside, folks. Can't you see the beauty of God? Can't you see his, his glory, his beauty, his design, his wonder? Let, let nature speak to you. He's speaking through parents. He's speaking through friends. He's speaking through enemies even. God speaks in a number of different ways. He could speak through, through dreams. He could speak through thoughts that come into your head that are better than anything you would have thought of. He could speak through peace or, or giving you a, an intuition that something's r- wrong here. I don't know why it's wrong, but... I just don't have peace about it. Now, anything subjective, we need to be very careful because the enemy's speaking too. The enemy can twist the word of God. He speaks the word of God to Jesus in a twisted way. The enemy can give you experiences too. So we need to be humble about any prophetic experience and submit it to the word of God and to the character of God. Is this really God? Or is this me? Or is this the enemy? Or is this pizza that I had last night? But here's the truth. God is alive and he is speaking. The the picture here, they did farming different than we do it. They plowed afterwards. We plow and very carefully put the seed in. They just said, the sower just scatters seed everywhere. Just you get as much out as you can. And then the plow comes afterwards. So God is speaking. How else is he speaking? He'll speak through your life. You ran into that wall 20 times. God's saying, It's not working, it's not working, it's not working, it's not working. The burning bush is not burning up. He's trying to get your attention. Stop. God, do you have something you want to say? And I'll tell you something. He does. He loves you. He's alive. And he's speaking. But you and I have to, just because you have ears, doesn't mean you're hearing. Doesn't mean you're listening to what God is saying. So a few years ago, we, we're, we live in a neighborhood in McFarland called Secret Places. And we have a neighborhood association and they sent out an email out saying, there's a thief in the neighborhood. <laughs> Several homes had, had lost things and so they got the word out. Now you can bet that we locked up and we made sure our garage door was closed every night because there's a thief about Jesus said there is a thief about. He said, this is John 10, 10. The thief came to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that you might have life. Listen, there is a thief. I I wish there wasn't a thief. It doesn't matter what we wish. There is a thief, and he wants to steal from you. And here's what he wants to steal from you, your faith. He wants to steal the word of God. He wants to put a question. He wants to tell you, you're so smart that God doesn't speak, that's just ridiculous. It's all about science. You're so smart. Be skeptical of anything spiritual. Watch out. Watch out. You can be on the road to spiritual bankruptcy instead of spiritual riches. Second 
The second heart is the shallow heart. Let me read it to you from Mark's gospel. This is Mark chapter 4, 17. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. They have no firm root in themselves. It's not their faith. It's their mom's faith. It's dad's faith. It's the pastor's faith. It's Derek's faith. It's somebody you love, and it's their faith, and, and you're in the midst of the energy of the congregation, and do you want to accept Christ? And yeah, yeah, I accept Christ, and you receive it with joy, but that word is going to be tested. Persecution means other people aren't going to like it. And you're like, hmm, uh, I'm with a different crowd right now. And because I didn't own my faith for my faith, I tried to be on somebody else's faith, it's quickly taken away. Or an affliction will come. My, uh, my life was supposed to get better when I accepted Christ, and my life is getting worse. I think I'm done. I, was, I wanted God to bless me. I wanted God to, 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 to serve me, and it's not working out the way I thought. I'm out. See, God allows those, those tests. You gotta decide, this is my faith. And I'm not, God's not my servant, I'm his servant. He's not following me, I'm following him. Jesus never said, follow those who follow me. He just said, follow me. Jesus, Jesus doesn't have grandchildren, he's only got children. You've gotta own this thing yourself. You've gotta say, this is my faith. I wanna tell you about a friend named William. William is the prof a professor of economics at uh, UCLA in California. And he's from Taiwan. He's a good friend. He'll watch this service because he watches every week. He's given me permission to share a story. He used to teach economics at Winona State. And he met my daughter, Anne. Actually, he hired my daughter, Anne, who's, who's in, who's, was in English and and she's really good with language. And so he would tell her what he wanted to say and she would write it for him. And he's a very great learner, curious. And so he wanted to find out about Christianity. He came from a Buddhist background in Taiwan and, and he became fascinated with Christianity. And he'd ask her questions all the time. Well, then Annie graduated, so he hired Christina, another daughter, who was also at Winona to do the same thing. And once again, and and Christina's like, you should come and meet my dad. And so she, the, William came over and he has become a family friend. He often spent, time spends a holiday, at least once a year with us. He's coming again in Thanksgiving for five days. But every time William would come, he'd have like a thousand questions about Christianity. And I'd just sit there for at least an hour, sometimes two hours. You know, what about this? What about that? What about that? What about that? What about this? What about that? And I'm just like, Bro, I, I can give you the answers that I give you, but at the end of the day, you're going to have to make a choice. And I'm fine. We love him. He, it's fun to have him in the family. But I'm just, I had him pegged as one of these guys that loves searching but doesn't really want to find. We just like having questions. And we like talking. About, and we really don't want there to be an answer. We just, we just want to search. And because we're deep and we search, but we never find anything. And I just thought he was probably one of those guys. And then he came with us. We were going down to Kansas City for the One Thing Conference. And he came with us. And we are in the middle of worship. And, and down there, it's like hours of worship. And 
he gets saved in the middle of worship. He turns to me and says, Pastor Tom, I just got saved. I need to go out and call my wife and tell her what happened. <laughs> I, I'm not, I, I, it, it just clicked, and all of a sudden, he chose it for himself, and he's been absolutely immovable ever since. You know, you know, I'd rather have you come in slow and own it for yourself rather than come in quick and, and uh, yes, I, I, I want to be forgiven. Decide, uh, do you own this? Do you own Jesus? Jesus wants you to own him, and he wants to own you. The shallow heart starts out really good, filled with joy, ends up spiritually bankrupt. The third heart is a really scary heart. This is the distracted heart. The distracted heart has passed the first two tests. They have honored it as the word of God. They believed. One of the, one of the gospels says they, they believed. They received the word of God. They believed the gospel. They passed the initial test of uh, persecution and affliction and owned their own faith. I'm the real deal. I am a Christian. The enemy had another plan. Just distract him over time. Just get their eye off the ball. So it says, Jesus said that they are the ones that the worries of this life start choking out the word of God. He defines the worries of life in Matthew 6, 32 and 34. He says, here's what the Gentiles worry about. What are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? Where are we going to live? And where are we, we going to eat? Where are we, what are we going to wear? And what are we going to live tomorrow? It's all about survival. It's all about worry. And it dominates your life so that uh, I'd love to go to church, but I'm taking an extra shift because we got some bills coming up. I'd love to uh, have a quiet time, but I don't have time because I've, my thing starts, I've got to get my sleep and that. And all of a sudden, the word is getting choked out. And survival is the main motivation instead of this transformation. We had a woman on Tuesday, I was talking about not only being forgiven of sin, but Jesus wants to heal the iniquity in us that keeps us straying from God and, and come and confess your sins to one another and get prayed for that he might heal what is straying from God. And one woman came up to my line and she said, I, I have been straying because of worry. She said, my sin is I haven't trusted the goodness of God. I have not trusted that God is going to take care of me. And it leads me into worry. And it leads me into, and I need to be healed. And God touched her in a beautiful, powerful way. He's a big God. Jesus says, the Father knows you have need of all of these things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Just seek to do what's right. And all of these other things will be added to you. The Father knows He loves you. He cares for you more than he cares for the birds. And he knows the birds too. But he'll take care of you. Trust him. Don't let worry choke out your life. Then he gives riches. Mark and Matthew call it the deceitfulness 
of riches. Riches deceive you because they seem like their security. They seem like they're going to make your life good and protect you from bad things. And Jesus says in, in Luke chapter 12, he's talking to this farmer who had a really good year. And he's like, he says, I'll tell you what. He says to himself, here's what I'll do. I'll build, build, build her bigger barns and, 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 and we'll just save up all this harvest and then we'll eat and drink and be married today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And God says, you fool, your riches have deceived you. Tonight, you're going to die. Then who's going to get all the stuff you saved up for? He says, so it will be for everyone who pursues worldly wealth but is not rich toward God. Don't make the mistake of not being rich toward God. Somebody said this, in life is short, enjoy it. Let me say this, eternity is long, prepare for it. And then there's one heart that reaps 30, 60, and 100 fold. And that is the persevering heart. This is those, Jesus says, who receive the word of God in a good heart. And they persevere and bring forth fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. They persevere. They persevere through the devil's lies, through all the question marks that get put on, and they stay committed to the word of God. They stay committed to hearing the word of God, to being part of a, a fellowship of believers. They stay, they invest in making their life open to the word of God and not just listening to it, but, well, in the Bible, to listen to it means to obey it. It means the word of God is going to change my life and I'm going to persevere through the devil's lies. I'm going to persevere through persecution and life is hard and I can't understand that and I can't understand that. Okay, that's fine. I'm going to keep going anyway. They persevere through all of the distractions that we've all felt. We've all felt the worries pull on us and the pleasures pull on us and, and, and we need to be very careful with, I don't even think I talked about the pleasures. Pleasures of this life. You need to be very careful here because God is the author of pleasure. God, at his right hand, are pleasures forevermore. God renews us through stuff that we like, through th things that we enjoy, that, that re they restore our life, they restore our soul. It's, it's not pleasure itself. It's when we make pleasure an idol. It's when we live for pleasure rather than living for God. Second Timothy says in the last days, people will love ple pleasure rather than loving God. We seek God. We put God first. We enjoy the things that he puts on, but we don't idolize them. Mark calls it the desires for other things. The enemy can use anything to hook you and pull you away. He can use video games or golf or sex or drugs or any, a desire for anything. And many, many of the things are legitimate until you make them an idol and it's your whole life is around that one thing. And now I can't go to church. I don't read my Bible. I, and all of a sudden, everything that used to be fresh and real, I, I'm not, I don't even know if I believe that anymore. I used, to, I used to be into Jesus, but I'm not anymore. I just kind of, you know, that... I'm not even sure I believe that it's true anymore. And it all happened just because you got distracted. So you persevere. 
You see the folly of worries, you see the folly of riches, you see the folly of living for pleasure, you you persevere through that, and you say, Jesus is worth it. He died for me, I am going to stay in it for him. Even though it's hard, even though it's difficult, I am going to persevere. And Jesus says, they're going to bring forth fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. It it will be worth it. It will be amazing. They are going to change themselves and they're going to change the world because they didn't give up. So here's what happens oftentimes in church. So there's this dad and his son and they're eating watermelon and the son starts asking about these seeds that they keep having to spit out and... And the, and, the, and the father says, you know, this is, a, this is a watermelon seed. He said, you plant this and you're going to get a watermelon. And the son is like, no, no. He said, no, yeah, yeah. And this dad knew a lot about farming. And he says, Let's, we're going to plant this together tomorrow. And so they go in the garden and it's just the right soil and the right everything. And they get it planted at the right depth and everything's right. And, and, the, and the dad turns to his son and says, now we just need to be patient. All right, dad. All right, dad. And so the son is doing everything he can to be patient. And the next day he goes out there and looks to see what's happening. And he's very disappointed. He said, son, I told you you have to be, I have been patient. I waited all day. He said, son, son no, it's, it's going to take longer than that. It's just, you're going to have to be patient. And so that night the son is praying, God, you know we planted this watermelon seed. God, cause that watermelon to grow. God, please, I know you're going to do it. We want a watermelon. And so next morning he gets up to see if God's answered his prayer. He goes out there and there's nothing. Comes in discouraged and dad is like, buddy, the seed is there. It is growing. It is just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not going. And anyway, this happens three nights in a row. And finally, the, the, the prayers are getting more desperate, more sincere. And the dad's finally, he just goes to the grocery store and gets a huge watermelon. <laughs> just, and just plunks it in the garden. Next morning, the kid goes up and he runs out to the garden. He comes back in. We've had a miracle. There's a watermelon. It works, Dad. It works. This is amazing. And so I think that that all of us know that God can do anything he wants to, and especially in the charismatic church, we believe in miracles. We would like to see that watermelon all at once. And so what God does, and oftentimes when we're young in our faith, he'll just, he is God. He can do it however he wants to. He'll just throw a watermelon in there and say, you, one day you were addicted, and now not only are you not addicted, you don't even want it anymore, you don't even desire it. It's just, it's a miracle. It all changed. All, or you got healed miraculously all at once, completely healed, and you've got this, this watermelon story of, isn't God amazing? And if we went around to every single person in here, everybody's got at least water, one watermelon story, where it wasn't hard. You just asked, and there was a miracle. But most of the other stories in our life are not watermelon stories. (laughs) Most of the other ones are sowing seed, having to water it, having to weed it, and wait for a harvest. Harvest is always in a different season than planting. So look look with me as the worship team comes at uh, Galatians chapter 6, 7 through 9. Do not be deceived... 
God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. The proper time there is the word kairos. It's God's, it's God's timing. In God's timing, there is a harvest coming. But the condition is, is that we don't, we don't give up. Sowing, Jesus gives us, in a message like this, there's all kinds of seed in the building right now. But you have to sow it. You have to agree with it. You have to say, I own this word for myself. I want to put this word into action. I I am going to change my life. Get it more around the word of God. I'm going to make room for a quiet time. I'm going to make room for church. I'm going to make room for the word of God. I'm going to listen to messages. I'm going to expose. I'm going to put use Christian meal. However God speaks to you. But to real, you're sowing to the spirit. You're sowing to the spirit. And then now you gotta be patient. You gotta be patient. There's a harvest coming. There's a harvest coming, but, but you gotta press through the weariness. How many know this world beats us down? The world is hard, our circumstances are hard, there's a devil out there, there's, but God knows all that. And God gets so excited when his children are holding on and persevering. And we're going to keep doing the right thing. Even though it doesn't look like it's going it's to pay and it looks like everybody else is getting what they want with it by cheating and by doing shortcuts, but I'm going to keep doing what's right. And God says, I will not be mocked. You're going to reap. You're going to be blessed. You're going to see the 30, 60, and 100 fold. I am God and I'm watching over my seed. And I'm watching over your hearts. And if you choose today, God, I want to be one of those that's spiritually rich. I want to repent of heading towards spiritual bankruptcy. I want to honor your word. I I want to be careful how I hear your word. God is going to honor that today.